Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. I am now in John chapter 8. I intend to cover verses 21 through 43 today. I'm going to entitle this section, Who are the true descendants of Abraham? As Jesus and the Pharisees argue the point, we are in the midst of this great festival that Jesus attended, the 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 Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, in, starting in John chapter 7, last chapter, John 7 and 8. Jesus is headed for Jerusalem to be crucified. He's going to mention his coming death in this passage that we're going to take up today. He's op- being more and more open about his messianic claims because he's getting near the time of his hour, the hour when he's going to be crucified. Now, he's already stood up during the water pouring ceremony on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles and said rivers of living water will flow through those who believe in him. Then probably the next day, some say it's the same day, he got up and said, I am the light of the world. And in between there, assuming this is in the scriptural text, he dealt with a woman called in adultery. So that's our context where we are. There are no parallel verses in the Synoptic Gospels, so we will start in verse 21 of John chapter 8. Reading, starting with verse 21, Then he, Jesus, said to them again, talking about the Jewish leaders he's talking to, I'm going away, you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, He won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now what Jesus meant when he said he's going away, he meant by dying. That's what he meant. The Jews this time correctly understood what he was talking about because if you die of course you can't chase somebody when they go into the afterlife now the question is is why would they look for jesus when you will look for me jesus said why would they look for jesus since they hated him well here's some options to answer that question john gill said they will look for their messiah when in distress and of course the distress would probably be AD 70 when the whole jewish order came tumbling down when the romans wiped them out and so jesus is saying yeah you're gonna you're gonna look for me then But now, they wouldn't be looking for Jesus personally because they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, but they would be looking for the Messiah to deliver them. This is what Albert Barnes says, basically. And since Jesus was the Messiah, they weren't going to find the Messiah when they looked for Jesus because the Messiah had already come and they'd killed him. And so, as they look for deliverance, as the city and the kingdom go up in flames, the Messiah's not there to help them. You won't find me, Jesus said. He was exactly right. And you will die in your sin. And that's what happened to the Jewish leaders. They died. They died in their sin. They didn't repent. Their kingdom was wiped out. Now, Jesus has already said this probably the day before, the last day of of the feast, when he said to the Jews in John 7, 34, You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now, at that time when he said it, the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go? This is in John 7:35, the next verse. Where does he intend to go so we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? The Greek, the Greek Jews is what he's talking about. The, the, the Hellenistic Jews who had dispersed all over the Roman Empire. And, and so that's what they thought the first time. And then this time they understand he's talking about being killed. So Jesus is basically telling them that he's going to die. Now when... He's also saying that the Jews are going to die. He says, and you will die in your sins. Now, the option here is, what does he mean here? There's two options. One, he could be saying they're going to die in their sins individually and go to hell. Or he could mean that when the nation dies in AD 70, they're going to die in their sin. Or it could be both, for that matter. Who knows exactly what he meant, but the results were not good for these Jews who killed the Messiah, who killed Jesus. 
We go to verse 23 and 24 in John 8. You are from below, he told them. I am from above. You are from below, he, Jesus, told them, the Jewish leaders. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, notice Jesus said, I am not of this world. He was in the world, but he was not of it, which is the common, I forgot where the scripture is, but you know, it's the common admonition to Christians. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. And Jesus was. He was not of this world, but he, was, he lived a human life and got involved in a lot of stuff here in this world, just like we do. Now, why is Jesus not of this world? Because the world is Satan's domain. Now, the world, of course, is a word that can be used in a lot of different ways. It can be the planet. It can be all the people in the world. But here it's talking about the domain of Satan, where unrighteousness rules. 1 John 5:19. we know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. So the devil has power of the world. That doesn't mean he owns the world. The world, the earth is the Lord's and all thereof. I mean, the Lord belongs, the world belongs to God. Satan is temporarily trespassing, and he's going to get his ugly rear end kicked out, evicted at some point in the future, and maybe we rejoice when that happens. But right now, the world is under the sway of the evil one until Jesus comes back to ultimately and finally rid the world of Satan's effects. Now, notice says, you are of this world. I am not of this world for you. And then he said, if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Now, the Holman Christian Study Bible puts a bracket after I am. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, if you notice that he has no antecedent, the he who, of course, it's understood to be the Messiah. The original Greek just says, for if you believe that I am. Well, many commentators point out that Jesus is referring to Yahweh because Yahweh means I am, the famous Quotation from the burning bush, Exodus 3.14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were saying to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So I am is Yahweh. I, Yahweh has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. God says to Moses, well, now Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, in other words, that I am God, you will die in your sins. Now the question is, would the Pharisees recognize the reference? I bet they did. I can't prove it, but I bet they did recognize it. They were supposed to know the scriptures. You would hope they would recognize that Jesus is claiming to be God. They certainly acted like Jesus was claiming to be God. How could you listen to his discourse in John, John 5, 6, and 7 and not believe that Jesus is claiming to be God? He, did, he went out of his way to claim that he was God, and they knew it. All right, so Jesus is claiming to be God, and then he turns around and says, But you, Pharisees, are of this world. You are from below. Verse 23, you are from below. What does that mean? It means from the earth. In other words, God is, Jesus is from heaven above, and the Pharisees are from the earth below. John 3:31. The one who comes from above is above all. That's God. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. That's the one who's opposed to God. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So Jesus is above all. He comes from heaven. The Jews are from the earth because they are not heavenly minded. Now, when Jesus says that you are from below, when you Jewish leaders are from below, you're tempted to think they're from hell because that's even lower than the earth. But that's not what Jesus meant. Now, he says in verse 24, you will die in your sins. That is a repetition of what he said in verse 21. In verse 21, he said, you will die in your sin. So he said it twice. You're going to die in your sin. And, of course, the options for that are you're going to die spiritually, 
when each one of you dies individually or you're going to die as a nation physically in AD 70. I don't really know what he was referring to. Either one's okay, maybe both. But the point is, you don't believe in Jesus the Messiah, you're going to die. The application to us should be obvious. John 8, 25 through 26. Who are you, they questioned. Precisely what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you. But the one who sent me is true, and what I have heard from him, these things I tell the world. Now, when they said, who are you? Well, they could have been quite sincerely asking just exactly who you are. John Gill says, rather, that they, that they asked the question in a scornful, haughty manner. Adam Clark says that they asked the question this way. Who in the world do you think you are? Why do you threaten us in this manner? Or, James Vossett and Brown says, they want an explicit answer as who Jesus is claiming to be, because maybe, I'm saying this, not James and Vossett and Brown, maybe they could more easily accuse him as a false messiah if they had more evidence of Jesus would be just a little bit clearer. Well, I don't know how he could be much more clearer than he was, much clearer than he was. Precisely what I've been telling you from the beginning. How has Jesus been telling them that who he was from the beginning? Well, he just finished saying he was the light of the world. In John 8, the same day, he just finished saying, I am the light of the world. That's John Gill's answer to how Jesus was telling the Pharisees who he was. It could have been before when he told the Sanhedrin that, he, that God was his father. That's in John 5, 6, and 7. He said that over and over again. Could have been the miracle showing that he was the true Messiah, John Gill says. Or he could have said even back in the in the past, in at the burning bush, when I am said to Moses, I am, I am, has sent me, has sent Moses, I am, I am who I am. Say, that's when Jesus said that. That was Jesus, not necessarily just God, but that was Jesus saying that from the very beginning. I don't think that's what, that's John Gill's speculation. In my opinion, he's just talking about from the beginning of his ministry, whenever he started, and everything he said about himself, pointed to the fact that he was the Son of God and, and, and he was the Messiah. Verse 26, Jesus says, I have many things to say and to judge about you. It's ironic. The Pharisees are trying to judge Jesus. They accuse him of not being of Abraham, but of being the devil as his father, as we'll see in later verses in this discourse. They're trying to judge Jesus as a false Messiah, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm the one that's going to judge you. I got many things to say about you guys. But before I get around to that, let me point out that the one who sent me, that's God the Father, is true. And what I've heard from him, these things I tell the world. In other words, I'm speaking the truth and you guys ain't listening. I've been telling you this from the very beginning. I've been sent from the Father. I have words from the Father. I know where I'm going and have been. And I know what the Father has spoken. And I'm telling you what the Father is and what the Father's will is, my will is. And the Father judges and I judge. And the Father works and I work. And I'm saying this over and over again. And I'm telling the world, as anybody who will listen, but you guys won't listen. Jesus has made the case so clear before the Pharisees that their judgment is condign. They, are, they deserve every bit of judgment that they got because they sinned against a tremendous light. Now notice that Jesus says, I have many things to judge about you. This is a great verse for all these Christians who say, well, we can't be judgmental now. Let's don't judge. Let's don't judge. Completely misunderstanding those verses on judgment. Uh, John 7, verse 26, judge righteous judgments. In other words, don't judge according to appearance. John 8, uh, in the last, oh, I don't have the verse in front of me, but somewhere in John 8, Jesus says, you judge according to appearances, but I don't judge according to appearances. In other words, judge according to righteousness, according to the truth. But you have to judge. You just can't let sin go away with a swarmy feeling and say, oh, well, let's just let bygones be bygones. Sin will never have its punishment. 
Let's go to John 8, verses 27 through 29. They did not know he was speaking to them about the Father. So when Jesus said, the one who sent me, they couldn't figure out, who, who sent Jesus here? He was talking about God the Father. It's obvious to us. It wasn't obvious to the hard-hearted Pharisees. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but just as my Father taught me, I say these things. But just as the Father taught me, I say these things. In other words, I'm going to show you that I'm from the Father, and when are you going to know? When you kill me, lift up usually means to lift up to a high place, as like exalt or praise. But in this case, as the NIV study Bible points out, in this case, John means it to refer to crucifixion. When you lift up the Son of Man, when you crucify him, then you will know that the Father has sent me. Well, how are they going to know that? Because of the judgment that follows, Adam Clark says, Jerusalem is wiped out in AD 70. It's going to be clear then that Jesus was the Messiah and everything he predicted in the Olivet Discourse came to pass. Jerusalem's wiped out just like he predicted in the, the sinful, murdering Jewish rabbinic order. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're wiped out. Well, then you're going to know who the Father is and that the Father sent Jesus. Jesus predicted these things in advance. And notice now he is deliberately accusing the Pharisees of contemplating murder. When you lift up the Son of Man, when you crucify him, things are getting very explicit here near the end. Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown say that this lifting up expression is the plainest intimation yet that he had given in public of his manner of, or of death and the authors of it. He's stating it clearly now. Now, he calls himself the Son of Man to these Jews. When you lift up the Son of Man, I'm not going to go into all the details of that phrase, but let's just say it's a messianic term. It comes from Daniel 7, 13, and 14. Jesus used it of himself all the time. And if you read Daniel 7, 13, it talks about the Son of Man coming up to the Ancient of Days and inheriting a kingdom that will last forever. It's obvious it's a messianic term. And assuming these Jews knew the Scripture, which I believe they did, then they would know that Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. I am sent by the Father. How can I make it more clear to you blockhead, blockheads? Let me repeat verse 19, 29 again. The one who sent me, that's God the Father, has sent Jesus. He is with me. He is with Jesus. He has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. Application point, you don't want to get left alone by God. Do what pleases him. He's not going to leave you alone. Jesus once again identifies himself with the Father. The Father has a work to do. Jesus does the work. The Father does miracles. Jesus does miracles. The Father judges, but he doesn't judge alone because the Son judges with him. Whatever the Father wills, the Son does. And now it's whatever the Father pleases, to, pleases the Son does. We go now to John 8, verse 30 and 31. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my in my word, you really are my disciples. Now, Jesus probably realizes here just because they believe, that doesn't mean they believe all the way. They're starting to believe, and they need to continue. Now, it's unclear here who these quote-unquote believers are, these believers who need to continue so they can really be Jesus' disciples. Some people say it's true believers. NIV Study Bible denies that. And the way they deny that, the way they prove their position there, is that they say that this is a merely formal possession, profession of belief, but that if we drop down three verses, two verses to John 8:33, we we see Jesus talking to them, saying this: "We are descendants of Abraham." They answered him, "And we have never been enslaved to anyone." Excuse me, Jesus is not saying this. This is the the alleged believers who are responding to Jesus. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus had just told them that 
you will be free from sin. And they say, how can, how, how can you say that? Doesn't sound like they're believers. John 8, 37. Jesus says to them, I, Jesus says, I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. Well, it doesn't, the NIV Study Bible says, well, it doesn't sound like these people are really true believers because Jesus says you're trying to kill me. However, many commentators believe that verses 30 through 32 are what Whedon, the commentator, says is a pleasant parenthesis. He just kind of turns aside, or, or John turns aside from all the blaspheming antichrist jews and he turns to some of the crowd who believed in him and jesus said continue my word you'll be my disciples you will know the truth and truth will set you free in verse 32 he's talking to the disciples and then back in verse 33 he turns back after the parentheses and he goes back to the jews and they answered him we are descendants of abraham we have never been enslaved to be honest with you i i don't i think that might be sort of a close question but i think it's a parenthesis because it just doesn't sound to me that jesus would be so hard on people who said they're his disciples you will know the truth, and you'll you set me, and the truth will set you free. It sounds like he's talking to believers, and then he turns from them back to the Jews who are harassing him. So we're going to take it that way. Now, this idea of continuing in Jesus's word is expressed in John 15, verse 4. Jesus says this: "Remain in me, or continue in me, or abide in me." I think the King James has: "Remain in me, and I in you." Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. The normal Christian, the normal life of a disciple is to remain in Jesus and to continue to draw sustenance from the vine. You being the fruit, you don't continue as disciple. Bad things will happen. What will happen if you don't continue as the disciples? Well, you're not really his disciple. Jesus says in verse 31, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciple. But there's a lot of people out there. Yeah, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe. I believe 20 years ago I raised my hand in a little evangelistic service in, or vacation Bible school. I believe. But now I'm out here. I got 20 girlfriends. Woo-hi. But I still believe. Fornicating with them every weekend. But I still believe. John 8:32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I'm assuming he's talking to his disciples that had believed in him, believed in him, mentioned in verse 31, where it says that many believed in him. And Jesus tells them, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that's the condition to knowing the truth, by the way, is the previous verse, which is continue in my word, continuing in Jesus' word. That's how you know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Oh, but if you like the typical evangelical who reads the word 15 minutes a week, well, how much freedom from bondage are you going to experience? The truth will set you free if you continue in his word, and then you will be set free. The, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you know him, the more you know his word, the more you will be set free if you will continue in his word. Now, that's continuing in his word. That sounds like continuing the objective truths that Jesus taught, and I think that's true. Verse 32, I would submit to you, could refer to a subjective personal relationship with Jesus. You will know the truth. Well, Jesus said, I am the truth. And know, gnosko is the Greek word. It can easily mean to know in a personal sense, not to know in an intellectual sense. For example, I know how to solve this math problem. That's an intellectual sense. But Adam knew Eve, had sexual intercourse with Eve. That's to know in a personal, intimate way. You will know the truth. You will know the person of Jesus in a personal, intimate way. You could interpret that verse that way. I haven't seen any commentator do it, but I'm going to step out on a limb and say that's perfectly reasonable to do that. And the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth, and he's going to set you free. So the more you know Jesus personally, the less bondage you will have in your life, and the more setting free, the more you will be set free. 
Now, the NIV Study Bible points out that this truth is talking about, you know, the truth is not philosophical truth. It's rather the truth that leads to salvation. I have just finished, I'm in volume seven of the nine volumes of Frederick Copleston's History of Philosophy, and I can guarantee you one thing. Philosophers do not know the truth. They are the most screwed up group of human beings on this planet. They rival the screwed upness of liberal Protestants. Many of them were actually sort of liberal Protestants, people like Hegel. But anyway, that's not the truth Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the truth, salvation truth, the truth that leads you to salvation. Jesus said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the truth. See, that Jesus personally is the truth. Now, that doesn't mean, of course, that there's not objective propositional truths that Jesus spoke that we're supposed to believe. Of course, that's true. I'm not a mystic. But on the other hand, I'm not a theist either. We need to know Jesus personally as well as objectively. We go to John 8, verses 33 through 34. We... And I'm assuming this is the Jewish leaders here, not the uh, disciples of Jesus, but the Jewish leaders. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Jesus responded, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now, there's an interesting point here. Jesus could have answered them on their level. How can you say you will become free? We have never been enslaved to anyone. Oh, yeah? Really? Well, let's think about this. Were they enslaved by the Roman overlords at the very instant that they were speaking? Oh, yes, they were. Were they enslaved in their time in Egypt as slaves? Oh, yes, they were. How about the time of their subjugation to neighboring pagans during the time of the judges? Were they enslaved then? Oh, yes, they were. How about the 70 years of captivity in Babylon after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C.? Were they slaves then? Come on. We've never been slaves to anyone. These Pharisees were arrant fools. They were stupid. But Jesus didn't respond to their stupidity. They're talking about physical slavery, and Jesus tries to get away from that and go to their spiritual slavery. He says, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. And of course, what he's implying is you guys are committing sin, and you're going to die in it. He's already said twice you're going to die in your sin, so he's he goes back to their sin again. You want to get people saved? You talk about their sin. Now, these people weren't saved, of course, but Jesus never quit trying. You have to point out people's sin because saving, being saved means you're saved from something. You're saved from sin. And Jesus is pointing out their sin. Now, let's look at some scripture that says that we're slaves to sin or that sinners are slaves to sin. Not we Christians, but sinners in general are slaves to sin. They promised them freedom. These are false teachers, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. So if sin defeats you, you're a slave to it. Romans 6.16 Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey? Either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And of course, if you're not obedient to Christ, that means you're a slave of sin and it leads to death. You will die in your sins. In other words, it's what Paul is saying, which is exactly what Jesus told the Pharisees here. Let's go to John 8, verse 35 and 36. Jesus continues with the idea of slavery to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. He is making an analogy between an inheritance and a household. A son will inherit the father's patrimony. He's always going to be the son, and he will inherit, but a slave, not so. Now, the, the household man, uh, master could bequeath some property to a slave. That's true, but he didn't have to. And then the slave 
might take the property. Maybe he's emancipated at, at that time. That happened a lot of times. That masters would emancipate slaves in their will, but they're still not in the household forever. They would leave. They'd have some money, but they're still not members of the household. They don't inherit from the father. They are not sons, in other words. They might be sold. They might escape, or they might be emancipated, but they're not in that household forever. But a son, you can't sell a son. You can emancipate him legally, but still, he's still your son by blood. He's going to be there forever. And what and Jesus is saying is, you guys are slaves. You're in your household, the Old Testament Jewish order, and you are not free. You are slaves. There's, your sacrifices and your rituals and your laws are never going to get you out of sin. But in verse 36, he says, but if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. You won't just be pretending to be free by saying, well, we've never been a slave. We're children of Abraham. No, you really will be free. You'll be free from your sin. Now, notice the, in the analogy here, a son remains forever. That's an adopted son of Jesus Christ. He becomes a member of God's household, and he's a Christian. And we're in God's house forever. We will never receive the inheritance of death. We will receive life, and that's it. Nobody's going to take that away from us. We go to verses 37 and 38 of John 8. I know, Jesus continues, I know you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. Now, the but there means hey, I, look, I can see that you're a physical descendants of Abraham. But, on the other hand, why is it that you're trying to kill me? Because if you were true descendants of Abraham, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. There's the contrast he's trying to make with the but. In other words, it's, but it doesn't make any sense that you're trying to kill me. I know you're descendants of Abraham, but you're trying to kill me because my word is not welcome among you. I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, therefore you do not, you do what, you have heard from your father. Ooh, your father. Who's he talking about there? He's contrasting his father with the Jews' father. Well, his father, of course, is God the Father, Yahweh, and their father is Satan, which he's going to explicitly say in verse 44, which, and we'll take up that in the next audio, because we're only going to verse 43 here, but he's, he's getting ready to call him of the devil. He's getting ready to say that their father is the devil. Now, Jesus says in verse 37, I know you are descendants of Abraham. He's referring to what the Jews said in verse 33 when they said, we are descendants of Abraham and we've never been enslaved. And Jesus is saying, yeah, well, I'll grant you that part of your statement that you're descendants of Abraham. He meant physical descendants of Abraham. I'll grant you that. Later on, he's going to say, but you're not really spiritual descendants of Abraham because you don't inherit the kingdom. Jesus grants that Abraham was their natural father, as John Gill says. Now that verse in John 8, verse 44, that I said when he's going to directly accuse them of being of the devil, their father. Let me read that to you. You are of your father, the devil, Jesus says to the Jews, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks of his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. So Jesus here makes explicit Going back to verses 37 and 38, he makes explicit in verse 38, I am from the Father. I have, I have, I speak what I have seen in the presence of the Father, my Father, he means. But you guys are doing what you're doing from your Father. So Jesus makes it very clear and explicit the total contrast between the Jews and himself. They are of their father, the devil. He is of their father, uh, of his father, Yahweh. Before I go on here, let me point out that I'm assuming in the last part of verse 38 is in the text. This is the Holman Christian Study Bible and includes it in the text. You do what you have heard from your father. The NIV Study Bible leaves it out and puts it in the margin. 
Therefore, do what you have heard from the Father. Well, they, I'm sorry, they don't they don't leave it out. They translate it this way, or they they give the textual variant which says, "Therefore, do what you have heard from the Father." Well, that would mean that Jesus is not accusing them of being of the devil, not accusing them of having the devil as their father. So he does it in two other verses instead of three verses. Well, I think if you go by the context and by what he was saying, he's not saying, do what you have heard from the Father, God the Father. He's saying, you do what you have heard from your father, the devil. It's a minor textual variant problem there. There's nothing too serious to worry about. Verses 39 through 41, our father is Abraham, they replied. If you were Abraham's children, Jesus told them, you would do what Abraham did. But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. In other words, if I'm from Abraham and you're from Abraham, we're, we're brothers. And brothers don't try to kill each other. We have the same father, so we're brothers. And brothers don't try to kill each other. But you're trying to kill me. So therefore, Abraham is not your father. You would do what Abraham did. What does that mean? Abraham was merciful, charitable, and a hospitable man, as John Gill said. He was a man of strict justice and integrity. He feared God, believed in him, and was ready to receive every message and revelation which came from him. Is that what you do, Jews? No. If you did do that, you, you could say you take on the characteristics of your father Abraham, but you do exactly the opposite of what Abraham did. Therefore, Abraham is not your father. I am trying to tell you the truth from God, and now you're trying to kill me. Abraham wouldn't do that. Continuing with verse 40 in John chapter 8. Jesus continues, But now you are trying to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Actually, I've already read that. Verse 41, you, You're doing what your father does. Again, who's the father of the Jews? The devil. Because the devil was a murderer from the beginning, and you're getting ready to murder me. That's what he's saying. Now, here's their response. We weren't born of sexual immorality. They said, We have one father, God. So now they're trying to say that their father is God, and Jesus is Father is not God. Well, what could they be referring to here? We weren't born of sexual immorality. They're implying something about Jesus. They're implying that Jesus' father was, uh, shall we say, not legal. This could have been a slander at Jesus' alleged virgin birth, which the Jews were making fun of, saying, ha, 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 you say you're born of a virgin. Your mother had sex with somebody that wasn't Joseph. That's how you got born. Or they could be saying that Jesus had an illegitimate father whose name was Joseph because Joseph had sex with Mary during their time of betrothal. Or they could say, we are, that, uh, that you, they could be implying that you, Jesus, were born of idolaters because idolaters are spiritual adulterers. And so they're referring to this metaphorically, this sexual immorality is really spiritual immorality. So you are born of idolaters. I don't think that's it. Or they could be saying, as Adam Clark says, that, that that idea that the the option that Jesus is born of, of spiritual idolaters is John Gills and Jameson Fawcett and Brown's suggestion. I don't agree with that. Adam Clark says that the Jews are saying our tribes and our families have been kept distinct. We know our ancestry, and it runs all the way back to Abraham and his legal wife Sarah. So what are you talking about? That we uh, that we don't have our father. That Abraham is not our father. We know who Abraham is our father. He runs all the way back. We could trace it in the genealogies. Of course, Jesus is not talking about the physical father, his ancestor. He's talking about spiritually they're not of their father, Abraham. But I think that what they're really doing is saying, we've got one father and you 
were born. You were a ba- basically they were calling Jesus a bastard. That's what they were doing. They were saying that you are have, are of illegitimate birth, and all this talk about you being a son of a virgin, which I'm sure the word got around. You know that was well known. All this talk about you being a son of a virgin just proves that you were a bastard. That you were born of somebody who was not your legal father. Ooh, things are getting nasty now. Now we have a little reconciliation problem, which is not really much of a problem. Verse 39, Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what Abraham did. And of course, that means what he's saying is you're not Abraham's children because you're not doing what Abraham did. Well, if in verse 39, Jesus is saying you're not Abraham's children, how do you explain that in verse 37, two verses earlier, he said they were Abraham's children? Well, the answer is very simple. In verse 37, he's saying, yeah, you're Abraham's children physically. But here, you're not Abraham's children spiritually or morally because you're not doing anything that Abraham did. That's easy to reconcile. If you say that there's a contradiction in the text, that means that John would have to be so stupid as to put a contradiction two verses apart from each other, which is ridiculous. I say that in just case that some skeptic, atheist, agnostic, or liberal Protestant wants to say there's errors in the Bible. You don't know what you're talking about, as usual. We go here to verse 8, 42 through 43. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, because I came from God and I am here. In other words, they just finished saying, God's our father, God's our father. And Jesus said, Well, if that was true, you would love me, because I'm from the father and brothers love each other. Because I came from God and I am here, for I didn't come on my own, but he, God the father, sent me, sent Jesus. Verse 43, Why don't you understand what I say? He answers his own question. Because you cannot listen to my word. Of course they can't. They're from their father the devil. And they just can't understand because of their hard heart. Again, understanding is not a is not a question of the mind; it is a question of the heart. What is that? John seven twenty four. If you're willing to do the will of the Father, you will understand. I forgot. I'm not quoting it exactly, but that he said that in the previous chapter. Understanding is a matter of the heart. You believe, and then you understand. Faith seeks understanding. Once you believe, then you need to understand what you believe, so then God will reveal it to you. But the understanding, you can't figure God out first. That ain't going to work. Now we might make a subtle point here. There's two different Greek words used for say and word here in verse 40, 43. Why don't you understand what I say? That's lalia, which refers to the manner of speaking or the form of expression of speaking. According to the NIV Study Bible, Jameson Fawcett Brown says it refers to his peculiar style of expressing himself. So you don't understand the form of what I say or my expressions or my style because you cannot listen to my word. Or that is a different word. The word there, word is logos, means the content of what I say. So you don't understand how I say something. You don't understand what I say. You don't understand anything. Why? Why? Why don't you understand? Because you're not from God the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm finished this section in John 8, verses 21 through 43. We're going to stop it right here. I hope you enjoyed this. And our next section will take up John 8, 44 through 59, the end of the chapter, where the Jews and the Jewish leaders and Jesus, Jesus continue their wrangling, their public disputations with each other. Now they're going to accuse each other of being of the devil. In this passage, they argued over who were the true descendants of Abraham and who was their father. Was God their father, or was the devil their father? Or was Abraham their father, or was he not their father? So we're going to go from arguing over who the father is. Now we're going to go in the next audio, verses 44 through 59. The Jews and Jesus are going to accuse each other of being of the devil. We'll see you next time. <laughs>